Film Conversation. With you, as always, is me, Michael Cockrell. I am one of your hosts. And with you, as always, we've never done an episode apart yet, Dave, is who are you? <laughs> Dave Canfield. Dave Canfield. Oh, I gave, I spoiler alert, I said his name before his introduction. Um, it happens. So, Dave Canfield, what movie are we talking about today? You spoil me so well, Mike. Today we are talking about Blackberry. Blackberry tells the surprisingly funny and heartfelt story of Mike and Doug, two tech geeks and their late 90s invention, the Blackberry, a phone that could also text and send email. With the help of business partner Jim, the Blackberry became the had-to-have gadget for businessmen everywhere until the personalities that made it a success started malfunctioning. That is the movie. It is a comedy. It is directed by Matt Johnson. Uh, Matt Johnson has directed two previous films, um, The Dirties and Operation Avalanche. I think he may still be best known for his work on YouTube, where he had like a comedic video series based on Nirvana, which I guess is becoming a movie soon. Um, But he has a very YouTube... uh, I'm going to try to avoid saying the B word here, but a very a YouTube male millennial comic sensibility. Um, what I have not seen any of his stuff before, including the YouTube stuff, but I know you're a fan, Dave. Tell, tell us why you're a fan of his previous work. So I've seen a couple episodes of the show, which I think was called um, the Nirvana show, the band, the show that are a really weird name. Uh, it was very funny. It was kind of a, a, a mockumentary, kind of the office type camera, you know, um, um, approach to comedy uh, that seemed rooted in real life. But these guys were playing sort of characters based on themselves. Um, the real news about Matt Johnson um, for people who love movies uh, are his movies, The Dirties, which you mentioned, Operation Avalanche. Uh, the Dirties was a comedic thriller about a school shooting. Uh, and about a, a pair of guys trying to make a film about the concept of school shootings as part of a school project, uh, and Operation Avalanche, which was about a faked moon landing. Um, and both of those films are really, really good. Uh, I, I, I highly I highly recommend them. Um, and, uh, and they're both really original. Um, Matt Johnson writes... Uh, as well as directs. And so uh, it was kind of unusual uh, this time around. This isn't just out of the imagination of Matt Johnson. Yes, uh, it was not. It was cre- It is based on a book. Um, it was, a, a, he was, as we heard him say, he was uh, offered to do this book, as I'm sure he's offered many. And um, he decided, hey, there's something here that I could uh, work with. The name of the book, it has a ridiculously long title, Losing Signal, The Untold Story Behind the Extraordinary Rise and Spectacular Fall of Blackberry. It's written by uh, Jackie McNish and Son Silkoff. They have co-writing credits here. Uh, it is an adopted work. They are the adopted co-writers. And I think I think it was a good call. I think, that it, I think the book has some humor and kind of focuses on the personalities. Uh, so yeah, I think it was a successful adaptation. Also credited here is Matt Miller, who's been a longtime producer of Matt Johnson's work. And uh, it should be noted, Johnson always does work with a co-writer, which I find 
very interesting, but it's been, I think, different co-writers uh, each time. And he seems to be the kind of filmmaker that builds relationships with his, uh, with his, within his, um, you know, sphere. And uh, I think that's one reason his movies have been as good as they are, is he knows how to gather, gather talent around him. Uh, as far as um, notable technical aspects of the film, um, I think there one that was brought up. I didn't actually notice too many technical things while we were watching it, but they brought up that it it started. It starts to be filmed as um, kind of like a documentary style office. You know, like the office is shot this way. Close ups, interviews, <laughs> uh, very close in shots, um, shaky cam, moving cam, and then it kind of transitions as the story kind of gets bigger, transitions into wider shots, distant shots, established shots. Um, that's the only really technical thing. This is pretty much shot in a very uh, capable, but um, non-experimental way. So um, something else that we could talk about here is the cast. I think a, a, another interesting thing about this movie and the reason it represents sort of a step up for, um, for Matt Johnson is uh, his previous movies, mainly starred unknowns people that that were you know kind of at the functioning right at about the same level of their careers as him here uh he brings in a number of really well-known people uh saul uh rubinick is in this film um very very recognizable very respected actor um but also um his co-star is jay baruchel who's not exactly a newcomer um to Hollywood in general. However, you don't think of Jay Baruchel and you certainly don't think of Matt Johnson typically going up against people like Carrie Elways, who has a hysterical uh, uh, turn as a kind of a corporate raider named Yankowski in this movie, uh, or Michael Ironside, who's hired as a, a, a corporate heavy uh, by Jim at one time to keep the geeks in line. And Glenn Howerton, who is their co-star and shares many scenes with them, uh, he's best known for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but he owns, he almost owns this film. Uh, he is very, very good in this, in this role of the uh, businessman desperate to make good with his last chance. Um, and, uh, and Johnson and Jay uh, both hold their own. Uh, so, you know, kudos to all on that. Yeah. Uh, interesting way of framing it. Yeah. The, the, the leads in this are not a, a list actors for sure. Um, Jay Burchell is mainly known. It seems to be for voice acting has won several awards for that. It is interesting. And then, and then they, they have some heavier hitter character type actors like Saul Rubinek and, and uh, Michael Ironside. But uh, I do feel like Michael Ironside hasn't done a lot recently, but he is really, really good in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. But what do I know what people are doing, right? So, but the yeah, it's great to about, see. Oh, no, I was just going to say the funny oh, you thing. You have an answer Michael, to that? Well, you know, the funny thing about Michael Ironside is if you think of the glory of Michael Ironside's career, of which there have been some really big highs, is he's really known for total recall. Uh, where he gets his arms taken off um, in a stunt uh, 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 scene in the film. He's really known for Starship Troopers, where he gets an arm taken off. 
<laughs> yeah. And he's known for Scanners, a film that he did with David Cronenberg, where he can um, explode people's heads just by concentrating on them hard enough. So it's, uh, you know, he, those are the kind of movies people associate him with. And uh, it's fun to see him in a straight dramatic role. He usually kind of plays like an angry badass, right? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like if if he's on the angry badass list. <laughs> um, Saul Rubinek is exactly, I think, usually what he is right here. Yeah. Wiley. Um, Wiley cheater. I, I kind of think of his role in The Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation, where he tries to steal data from the oh, Enterprise. Yeah. That is forever... Uh, it's a pretty good one. Oh, and you know what? That now that I mention that, they completely shot that episode twice, Dave. The episode that Saul Rubinek is in, <laughs> and oh, you you laugh too soon, but I forgot who was in it the first time. Some pretty well known, smaller statured actor was in it first time, and he killed himself. And they yes. reshot it with Sal Rubinek. Yes, I believe it was the guy from Time Bandits. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen both I've seen both versions because the and uh, it's amazing that they really had different interpretations of the character. That footage but is available. You can watch that footage that. is on that footage is available. Yes, I'm gonna go look that up. I right think it's like it. a it might be a special edition or maybe it was leaked. But anyway, yeah. So how oh, strange! It's a small world. It is. That's and a very expensive choice, um, but I think it was the right one. It was very respectful to not air that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And Carrie Elwes, I mean, I, he just cracked me up here. You know, the first time I really fell in love with Carrie Elwes, besides obviously the Princess Bride, uh, where he plays the Dread Pirate Roberts, is 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 years later when we hadn't seen as much of him, and I think he had been the bad, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, the bad guy meteorologist in Twister. <laughs> what a great a bad guy meteorologist. So he was getting, you know, his career seemed like he was sort of going to be doing that kind of thing. And then he was in Saw. And so the movie is Carrie Elway's chained to the grossest bathroom you've ever seen in your life. And of course it ends with him sawing off his own leg at the ankle with a rusty hacksaw, um, which, which I just thought was hysterically ironic, wonderfully dark, humorous casting. Because you know you're watching the Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, basically, uh, basically lose the sword fight there for sure. But he, um, he's just having a blast here, and I think all these guys, you know, they're getting older, and and uh, it's really neat to see them well used uh, in you know in an industry where you just think of how many great character actors just get completely forgetting about, and you know, end up you know not Speaking being well used. Speaking of uh, getting older, let's randomly talk about one additional technical aspect. It's not truly technical, but um, Jay Burrochelle and Glenn Howerton. Um, I don't think we have to include Matt Johnson here, but they're both pretty young, right? Reasonably, um, yeah. I don't think Glenn Howerton's a day over 40, if, if he's uh, even that. I could try to quickly find answers to that, but I agree. And they were made to appear much older, especially, um, especially Jay Burrochelle. How do we think they did on a limited budget? How do we think the makeup department did making 
an aging Mike played by Jay Baruchel look older. Did, was it believable for you or could you tell there was a wig? <laughs> I see yeah, you glimpsing. You know why I brought it up. <laughs> if you're going to bring up the one bad thing in this movie, it is Jay Baruchel's <laughs> age makeup. It just doesn't work. It does look you a little bit out of the movie, especially in next to Glenn Howerton, who is flawlessly corporate raider, bald, aging, middle-aged businessman. And they did a fantastic job with him, but yes. not with, no, not with Jay. And I think, you know, Johnson seems like he hardly ages at all. Yeah. I, I don't think he was intended to, I don't think they'd made any effort to like age him as the years progressed. Um, so Dave, let's do a spoiler free review of this. Um, I guess I'll go first. I haven't really organized my thoughts, but uh, I think it's a very funny movie. It, there's no problems with pacing. You won't get bored. Uh, I would recommend you go see it. We, you know, we don't review a lot of comedies here. It's refreshing to get a, a good comedy, a heartfelt comedy. Um, I didn't know the story beforehand. I had no idea how it would unfold or, or how it would end. I was completely, I think Doug, I was not, you know, D Doug did kind of feel like a third wheel to me in, in this story, but uh I think the the Mike, the Glenn Howerton and Jay Burrow plotline was their relationship was extremely compelling, and it's very competently made movies. I would see it if you are looking for a comedy this weekend. It is in wide release, by the way. We forgot to mention that earlier, but it's in wide release. Um, three stars. How about you, Dave? You know, I would give this. I would give this about the same, maybe three and a half. Uh, there were some moments that um, really moved me in the film. I think. You know, again, the thing is, is you know, I, I usually end up, I'm, I see probably 350 movies a year, um, even now. And, um, you know, Blackberry is the third film from a director that I've been following since he started. His films keep getting funnier and um, um, more thoughtful, more entertaining. And I'm, I, I'm even guessing this film is going to have legs. I think this is a film that will bear rewatching. Um, because the characters are handled so well. Um, probably the other thing that I would say about it is that it is, um, you know, we're going to talk about movies this reminds us of later, but I, but, but I think that this is a movie that's unique of its type. And it is not maudlin. It's not sappy, but it has real heart. And you don't usually see that in movies about business um done this well unless it's being done by really 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 great directors and uh i'm gonna be really interested to see where uh where matt johnson ends up uh next yep very competently directed i i agree well dave you had a few themes you thought you know i was skeptical we could pull any themes out of this as i often am with with uh comedies but you've got some themes that you're gonna lead us through since i talked so much last last episode We'll let you talk more this episode, Dave, and I'll ride along and see if I can can <laughs> uh, tag in there. So if you haven't seen Blackberry yet, this is your chance to uh, put it on pause um, and come back when you have to listen to a spoiler-free discussion of Matt Johnson's Blackberry. Okay, we are back for a spoiler-filled discussion of this film where we attempt to grapple with some of its thematic elements, 
Um, I guess I want to start out by saying one really interesting thing about this film that makes it different than a lot of other business films. You know, business films, um, when you when you think of them, um, particularly films about computers, like um, I think Adam's Rib is probably the earliest one with Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, is they have romantic subplots. And they um, are very sort of uh, geared around those kinds of relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, how um, will success spoil Rock Hunter? Or uh, how to make, a, you, you know, how to make, a, get ahead in advertising without even trying. Um, this movie doesn't have any romantic subplot. It also doesn't have any villains. It has characters that sort of try on villainy. Uh, and the villains that are in the film sort of are in the background. And, um, you know, this is a film about people who want to be. You know, Doug wants to be, or Jim wants to be a big businessman. Mike wants to, like, invent a whole strata of of computational devices. And, and uh, uh, I think Doug, you know, played by Matt Johnson just wants to be along for the ride and wants to be, you know, the, 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 the accoutrements of, of success. Um, and, and that is really what this movie is about. I think if you wanted to identify a theme is it's, it's about people caught up in those sorts of desires and forces. Um, you know, the villains in this movie are always there to sort of bat our protagonists back into place and remind them they they really aren't cut out for the big leagues um and uh and the movie's always there to sort of bat us into in, into place that the craziness that say doug brings into the uh workplace that he and mike and jim are part of with his movie nights and his endless amount of horsing around uh and goofing off um and encouraging the same out of out of the other employees is uh is really you know the, the the idea of the spirit behind the collaboration that invented this device uh in the first place and the friendship uh that sustained uh people through the creation of it um so it's kind of a movie for me about the tension between creativity and fun um and the things that come with success and business, which is the thing, sort of the architecture of success. Uh, so it's very much a heart and mind movie. Um, I think the movie deals with Doug in a really interesting way uh, as regards that, but we could talk about that in a minute. What do you think, Mike? Woo, you said a lot, Dave. I don't know which, there are so many threads know, to pull on there. Um, in terms of, I think you hit upon something. And when we saw Mr. Johnson in person and he spoke about this, but I think you, you hit upon how the people in the film feel like they have something to prove that they're underdogs. Right. And if I was going to have to be forced to make up themes for this movie, I think it's important to note that Matt Johnson, like this film, like Blackberry is a product of our neighbor to the North Canada. And uh, Mr. Johnson said, the director of this film said that it was very important for him to capture that um, feeling of second place, of runner up as not just as good, 
not quite as good. And I think uh, that's what's f- coming through to you, Dave. Like um, where he says, in fact, there's a there's a scene where uh, Jim Balsillie goes to um, he wants to own a hockey team, right? That's like his goal. He's a hockey guy. He says he's just a Canadian guy. Uh, that's what he says in, in the film. But he gets denied that. And as he angrily leaves, he says he's from Hamilton, Ontario, right? Like he got denied to own a hockey team by the New Yorkers for his own bad behavior. But there's a sense like we've been kicked out of the club. I think that's very Canadian. And, you know, uh, a little bit, it reminds me of the movie The 20th Century, which we've never covered because, good Lord, if we had tried to cover that movie. <laughs> um, but that's a movie about the Canadian identity. And in that movie, uh, the center of Canada is Disappointment Square. So I think it's a very uh, Canadian idea of being second place, the underdog, not quite as good. Like, you didn't really do the real thing. Well, I, yeah. And I think that, and I think the thing that I, I loved about this movie in regard to that was that all of us have dreams, all of us have hopes. I've been a lot of different things in my life. I've been involved in the recording industry. I've tried writing screenplays. I've, you know, done a lot of different creative things. And I don't have any Oscars. I don't have any Grammys. I don't have any Emmys. I don't have anything like that. And that little voice, you know, that is constantly downgrading you in your own head that, you know, in this movie is peopled by the Saul Rubin X and the, and the Carrie Always and the Michael Ironsides of the world of, of, of the business world. Um, you know, I've learned how to silence them. And one way you silence them is you go fishing like Doug did at the end of the movie. Such a great shot. We see Doug avoids jail time, but he ends up, he ends up finding some peace too. And we find out that, uh, our Jim, I'm sorry. And then Doug, um, played by Matt Johnson, he, we find out he sold his stock and he's living the, he's living the life of luxury and being happy. And then Mike, we get this incredibly poignant, marvelous, wonderful scene with him where they're about to ship out this latest round of blackberries, which are probably going to be the last blackberries. Everything has gone down. The company's in disarray. He spent his whole life with this. And his response is to take apart a pallet, cut through the saran wrap, take out a box of blackberries, and start checking them one by one. Um, Not because he's obsessed in a bad way, but because that's his happy place. That's, That's what created the blackberry in the first place. And so being back to square one in that sense, I think for all these characters is a really great thing. And that's they haven't lost that's what they haven't lost in this process, even though they didn't get the hockey team and whatever else. But I can just pull randomly on those threads. I'll pull randomly on the uh, threads in the order in which you opened them up. Uh I don't know if I necessarily see any growth in Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I know we see him happy and out of jail um, at the end, fly fishing, but I don't know if we really see any growth in, in him. I don't know if we see any growth in any of the characters. I think uh, they're kind of all exactly where we left started with them in the beginning, whether they're fixing little 
fixing the errors from the uh, blackberries that arrived from China or fly fishing. I feel like they went on a crazy ride. They got lucky. And uh, I don't know if I see too much moral in the story, except don't be an idiot. <laughs> well, the real idiot of this story seems like it's Jim, right? Because Jim is the one who does the things that could land them all in jail. But to me, it's less about seeing growth. My happiness with those moments in the film is less about seeing growth in any of those characters than it is in seeing them brought down to places where they can be themselves again um, and, and not lose that, which is something I think is so often lost when people try to turn their hobbies into businesses or things like that. Yeah. I, I what else do you want to talk about, Dave? Well, I mean, did you point me in like, a direction? I know that you talked about <laughs> when we saw the film, you thought this was a really interesting look at bringing a product to market. It is. That is very, I think those were the most compelling tension points. So let me pull on a thread that I haven't pulled on yet. And that is, you said, there are no villains and there is no romantic subplot. And uh, I think we have to talk about why that might be as we talk about why the um, bringing the product to life is the most exciting part. And that is because this is based on a nonfiction book. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about storytelling, Dave, recently. And a nonfiction book doesn't have the responsibility to have a rising tension and a resolution because it's a real story that actually happened. That's provided by the real events. And so some quick ways to get tension is by having a villain or a love story. <laughs> but because this is based on um, a company that rose and fell, not a love that rose and fell, or a hero that rose and fell. That's why those scenes of creating the product are so uh, invigorating for us, because that is the rising tension. That is the success. That is what they're trying to do in this story. And it doesn't follow like a conventional Spider-Man narrative. Spider-Man's what we're doing next, by the way. So I think that's the explanation for that and it does portray that very well it is very exciting to make a new product um there is often a lot of tension between creativity and what's usable i mean engineers and artists will want something to be perfect and um designed kind of uh you know like how i love from a singular perspective like <laughs> the artiste theory and even in a collaborative way they would they have a theory of oh this will work we talked about uh we didn't talk about this today but we talked about how the original iphone didn't have copy and paste well let me tell you those engineers really wanted copy and paste in there and if they had just been given a few more weeks i'm sure they were arguing it would have been there but then the iphone would have been released later and maybe blackberry would have had to a chance to I don't know, make some sort of deal with 18D, talk them out of what they're going to do. So there's always tension between creativity and um, business, and especially in movies, but apparently in phones too. Uh, but whenever you're making something, you know, I've had the privilege of being kind of on the outer circles of product development for a long time. It's pretty much what I do every day um, and determining what is important for a product to be pushed into market and not pushed into market, you know, 
those are not easy calls to make. And sometimes there's no right answer, but you do need an answer at the end of the day. And I think that this is portrayed very well here. Them hustling to find solutions. Uh, and, you know, they've got that Canadian element that we talked about already where they're like, uh, the villain is kind of the, you know, if there is a villain in this movie, it's the unseen American. Yeah. Uh, and that sometimes takes the perspective of the hostile buyer, right? That sometimes takes this perspective of those New York City bastards that won't let Jim buy a hockey team. That sometimes takes the perspective of Google and they have to like poach people from Google and Microsoft. So if you really want to have a villain and who is, what's nipping at their heels, it's not overtly said, but it's their fear of failure, which is kind of personified by uh, American juggernaut the american juggernaut that we don't see yeah well i mean you know it's it's funny because i was watching um there was a scene with Smokey and the bandit was on tv it's one of those remote droppers for me where i'll probably watch 10 or 15 minutes of it if i come across it uh and uh, you know i grew up with it and everything and the, the what this movie was what this movie made me think of was you know you spend that whole movie rooting for burt reynolds while he just destroys property and cars and God knows how many people are injured and, and everything else because you hate Jackie Gleason in the movie. You hate the sheriff. And, and I think, you know, there's these great moments where we have all this latent hostility right now in America towards tech companies, <laughs> you know, where, where we, we know we're being taken advantage of. They're, they're taking our data They've done horrible things to to aspects of our society. And so it's kind of really a joy to watch Jim go in there and poach all the best engineers from all these different companies that we know down the road are going to ruin this thing. Wait, wait, you have media. hatred of tech companies? Yeah, oh, well, yeah, the, I think I don't have news to go far with that. I, I, think that, I think the- But not BlackBerry. How do you feel about BlackBerry? Do you have hatred of them? Well, I mean, BlackBerry, you know, the, here's the interesting thing to me about BlackBerry that I didn't know before. And that was that with each iteration of BlackBerry, they had to figure out how to get certain things done that other corporations had either written off as impossible or not been able to achieve. And so they achieved very, very important things in their engineering, it sounded like in the film that made it possible for their product to even exist and function the way, you know, that, that it had to, to meet Jim's insane demands for how many of them they needed to ship. So I don't know how much of that is, you know, plays fast and loose with reality, but I think that's actually kind of cool. But of course, ultimately, and this was what I was going to get to with Jim is Jim is is the bandit from Smokey and the Bandit. He's going around causing chaos, doing all this shit he's not supposed to do, stuff he can go to jail for. Um, and of course, ultimately, that catches up with him. So it seems to me like everybody gets their sort of just desserts here. Um, and and that's one of the fun, interesting things about it is, uh, is while I, I, I think that if, if you look at who the villains are in this, in this piece... They, they are these people who controlled things before all this started, while all this started, and they still control things here in 2000, you know, 22 or 23 at this point. Yeah. And Jim and Mike are kind of villains too. Um, 
they don't change for the best. You know, I don't know if I see any growth, but I think their worst impulses overtake them. And I, I think that's, I don't know. I, I think that's interesting. Whereas I'm, I'm so curious if the role of Doug was um, uh. actually in the book because Doug kind of seems to personify like the goodness of I Blackberry, uh, even though he he himself is like does seem like not always to have a yeah you know he he might be problematic himself a little bit, but I was I, I couldn't help but wonder if he was actually in the book or was just, was just put in there. I mean, I know the character Doug is a real person, but was he that prominent in the founding of and running of Blackberry? That I don't know, but um, it does seem like he is. He does seem sort of an amalgamation, doesn't he, of of the spirit of fun and adventure and and whatnot, you know, and the idea of like sitting up all night. I think he's what well, doesn't he one night sit up stay? You know, my dream was just to sit up all night and watch movies and eat pizza. Okay, that's that's a cool dream. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't know that that's held out to be like the greatest thing. Yeah, but there is something childlike about Doug that you do like, and uh, I think all the characters are, are, are even Jim. I mean, Jim is just such a great character. The way it's he is written. very likable, you know, um, even though he is an asshole, he is so honest about it and so useful and really so loyal. We yeah. talked about that about how day one he's mortgaging his house, so he is. He's not bailing. He is loyal to Blackberry and Mike. And he's, yeah, he's not looking, he's not looking to screw these guys. I think that is really refreshing. Like this is the anti, the social network, right? You know, this is, this is like really interesting in that you have the central character who um, is a human being. And he could so easily be taken over. Any of these people could have come just become metaphors for something. You said we care about the we we care about the people rather than the phone success. Do we? Because we root for the phone too. That's a good question. That's a very um, good question. I almost feel like we care more about the phone than the people. You think that's because the movie carries us along? So it can remind us at the end that what matters is that everybody survived or because clearly the world had outgrown Blackberry. Yes. Um, though I don't think they really follow into Blackberry's true demise. They just kind of follow it to the beginning of their demise. Cause like the release of the iPhone was not like Blackberry didn't just like disappear overnight. It took a few more years, but the writing was on the wall. And uh, what, what an interesting aspect about this, um, movie dave uh, that i think is an interesting narrative aspect is that we have a clock we know iphone's gonna f their ass up right yeah but it's not in the movie because the the movie the characters in the movie don't know that uh that's a very interesting way to do a thing you you know you can only do that really with historical movies with movies where people know this the story and sometimes you can even uh 
alter that like Inglorious Bastards, just change history at the last minute. So, uh, but yeah, it has that external clock, which is a very interesting element. So that moves the pacing along too, without any help of the plot whatsoever. And then the iPhone is just kind of dumped at the end, not just not dumped, but introduced at the end, but we know it's coming the whole time. Um, so I think that's a very interesting and helpful narrative element. Do you feel like you sort of learned to speak the language too of that industry? I like I, I felt like I understood a little bit more about how devices like that worked back then. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's all gibberish. Taken. Matt Johnson said they just recorded a bunch of. Uh, you remember he said they recorded just a bunch of um, the tech talk and then edited it together to be compelling. So I don't know if it even makes any sense. <laughs> so I'm the target audience. <laughs> so, yeah. So like they, like they had the actors sit there and talk about how they're going to use hack into the towers and uh, you know, whatever we're going to techno tech babble. They're going to say they, they did tech. It's not real tech babble. The script actually had the stuff. But I don't know if what edit was edited into the scenes is actually coherent. That's kind of what I got from Matt Johnson. I mean, there's like a basic coherency, like we're using their towers or we're using less data. But <laughs> does any of the details make any sense? Uh, I don't know. You know, another thing that this movie avoids doing that I think that a lot of films like it fall into uh, or any film that's set in any, you know, like time spanning setting where you go through for several decades or several like very important parts uh, of time is yeah they tell you what you know about the passing years you get these little year markers and stuff but they don't go out of their way to identify that you're in an in that era in a new era or anything and i mean granted they're covering a smaller like slice of time um but they could have like made a bigger deal out of like things like, I don't know, you know, like fashion or the headlines or music styles or something to sort of identify what was going on at any particular time. Yeah. Their, other their, going on, but they their main clue was the aging, their main clue was the aging stories. And I kind of get the sense that the Blackberry people didn't care about the outside world. Um, I would, I would guess that's probably true. They seem very focused on, doing what they're doing, making a phone. Yeah. Making the world's thing you had before an iPhone. Uh, so could we make this into a TV series, Mike? Mindframes or Blackberry? Both. Two podcasters desperate to get listeners. No. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> we could call it Mindframes, the show, the band. And we get this guy Matt Johnson to write it for us. Um, I don't think we need him. He's busy. We can write it, Dave. Let's do it. Uh, do we want to adapt a book or? I'm I'm all blackberried out, Dave. You got anything else you want to talk about? You can throw ideas at me. I'll try to respond. All right. Well, Mike, were there any movies that this um, reminded you of? Well, we mentioned. The 20th Century, that's the 2019 movie, of course, not the one from the 20s, uh, though the 2019 movie does make does try to appear to look like it's from the 20s or early 30s um, because of the focus on Canadian identity, specifically the underdog disappointment element of it. Um, how about you, Dave? Well, you know, the obvious, you know, ideas of things like, you know, Steve Jobs, the social network, um, 
movies that deal with tech. Oddly enough, again, things like uh, uh, Adam's Rib uh, and what the advent of particular technologies might mean to various societies and what it was like to be part of the companies that um, that spawned them. Um, but beyond that, not much. Um, um, you know, said, I really enjoyed this movie. The best underdog Canadian element of the film was that moment when He's like, I thought you said these are the best engineers. Like, these are the best engineers in Canada. And. Oh, yeah. And I think there's some truth to that because you saw that. Oh, I'm going back in the movie, but you saw that all of their ideas were not that innovative. You know, you're. it's like you, you said at the beginning, I almost interrupted you. You're like, they made, they're really innovative and leaders. They really, Blackberry wasn't. And Matt Johnson has said this too. This just isn't my recollection of events, but they really just put things together that were already there and they, they, did they did, they did it really well, but they never moved forward there. You know, up until a few years ago, they were selling phones on the same operating system from like the early two thousands. They were very slow to adapt. And I think that's predicted well in the, in the film, but yeah. And, and in that way, it's like they kind of Matt, I'm sorry, Mike and uh, Jim's characters are, are are kind of emblematic of that. And Matt Johnson said that during the interview that it's like they weren't a very innovative company. And I think uh, you still root for them. Yeah, I was just thinking back to the idea of like figuring out how to be able to run so many devices on the networks that they had and um, having to do that under the gun and figure it out quickly and keep their business afloat. I mean, I think that very talented and very smart people, but did they create something new? I don't think so. No, they made old right. things work better, which is great, but um, they never stopped until even at the end, they didn't really understand where the, where the industry was headed. Um, what other movies did this make you think of? So social network and Steve jobs. I think those are obvious ones. Um, yeah, I I wasn't thinking of too many movies, you know. While I while I watched this, it's its own beast. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, really, an an unusual film. It's the kind of film that could get lost, that people will hear about, and here was pretty good, and then they they won't see it. Um, but you know, it's better than a lot of what's out there right now, and it's better than most of what's streaming. So you really, really owe it to yourself. This film, we saw this film at the Chicago Film Critics association uh um film festival um or the chicago critics film festival which is the only film festival uh that we know of in the world that is curated by film critics and uh this was their 10th anniversary i'm proud to say i'm a member of the chicago film critics association and uh really just can't encourage you enough you know they picked that film for their opening night and brought Matt Johnson out and uh, the very appreciative crowd. Um, and it's a, it's a movie that deserves to be seen. Uh, um, and, uh, I, and I think you'll be glad if you do. So, uh, so there you have it. Um, should we tease him about the next episode? You kind of let, let it, uh, let it slip earlier a little bit of what we were doing. Yes, yes. Uh, our next episode is going to be Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The, uh, which is probably going to be a, an absolute blast. 
that first Spider-Man um, multiverse film, if you haven't seen it, run, run, mm. run, run. It is one of the most visually beautiful films that came out that year. And it is just breathtaking um, and incredibly well-written. And uh, I'm really looking forward. You know, superhero fatigue is real, Mike. Hmm. Yeah, this is an animated movie. So I think I can exempt it from uh, superhero fatigue. I like the first one quite a bit. I am going in with an open mind. It has three directors, which is, I don't know if that's more common in the animated world, but I, like that's like weird to me. But I'm huh. totally going in. Totally going in open-minded. I like the first one a lot. Who are the directors? Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. That is going to be the next episode. We are uh, always happy to hear from you if you want to get a hold of us. Uh, I've had a couple of uh, uh, a couple of you out there do that lately, um, and uh, that's been that's been encouraging. Uh, which was another conversation we had about this movie, Mike, uh, about Blackberry. Um, and we're getting our episodes out. Um, uh, I think with the, after seeing this movie, though, you have to ship something that's workable. <laughs> this is a good example of not shipping might have been the great right call here. Um, you know, they had to return all of their final products pretty much. Um, yeah, so they did. So, Dave, how, how could people get a hold of us if they wanted to talk to us? And where can they find us on the Internet? They can go to mindframesfilm.com. They can go to facebook.com slash mindframesmovies. That's a capital M, movies. And they can go to the nowplayingnetwork.net, uh, which hosts us and a whole lot of other great film podcasts uh, that you might have heard of. Thank you for listening. <laughs>